0: it's pretty consistent that the gospel thrives in a climate of persecution. Why would we as believers ever think that death or persecution is an option that's off the table? It's never been off the table. You know, as believers, we have to remember what Corey ten Boom said, there's no panic in heaven. I mean, Jesus is not sitting on the throne biting his nails because of ISIS, and believe it or not, he's using them.
1: Wait, Jesus is using the Islamic State? This week on VOM Radio, we'll meet Tom Doyle, author of a new book about Christians facing persecution in the Middle East. Tom will show us how God is growing his church, even in the midst of fierce persecution. He'll also introduce us to some of the brave church leaders who are willing to die rather than renounce Christ. I'm glad you're joining us for this important conversation on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. It's our privilege today to be speaking with Tom Doyle. He is the Vice President and Middle East Director for E3 Partners. They're headquartered in the Dallas area, Uh, but he's also the author of a new book, and and the book has a a pretty uh, sort of jarring title, I think. It's called Killing Christians. Uh, Tom, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
0: Great to be with you, Todd. Thank you.
1: Tell me why this book, uh, Killing Christians, is... Is so timely mm. right now with everything that's going on in the world.
0: Well, you know, working throughout the Middle East, uh, about every couple of years, I feel like God's leading me to write something, and and I think the 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 mood, the theme, the big story of the day is they're they're killing Christians. But I wanted to write a book, and the subtitle is living the faith where it's not safe to believe. So we wanted to talk about believers living in the midst of ISIS and shining for Jesus in the Muslim Brotherhood or Hamas in Gaza. And so these are people that we know and obviously changed their names and a little bit of the location to not give it away. But these are are Hebrews 11 type people living today uh, that I have learned so much from. And I have a good friend, Joel Rosenberg, that writes books. And Joel said, I think your next book is the lessons they've learned. You know, what What did they learn in prison and persecution? And we had been collecting stories, and that was just kind of a confirmation from the Lord to write about that. So it's a chance to to sit at the feet of modern-day heroes that are fearless for Christ.
1: I hear some of our listeners in the back of my mind saying, wait a minute, you said Christians in Gaza? Yeah. You said Christians in Syria? Are there Christians there? Tell us yeah. what, what's going on with the church in those places. Yeah,
0: and absolutely. And I think in America it's hard not to get our worldview from the news. And so maybe we're not tuned in. We thanks for thankful for what Voice of the Martyrs is doing, getting the good word out. There are. There are believers. You look at the worst cities, the worst countries that you can imagine being a believer. You look at Mecca, Saudi Arabia, there's underground churches there. We get messages from people. Gaza City, Damascus, in the midst of the Sunni-Alawite war. And I think what is most striking today, Todd, is this. To see believers that have come together. Let's look at Syria. So you have the Alawite government fighting the Sunnis, led really pretty much now by ISIS, fighting it's a religious war. It's, it's bigger than that. It's really a regional war with Iran involved and other, you know, Sunni nations, Arab nations. But here's what's happening. There are some former Alawites and former Muslims that have come to faith in Jesus, and our leaders work with them. And they say those underground worship services where they are loving each other, where they are washing each other's feet, where they are reconciling. See, once we reconcile with the Father— we can with our bitterest enemies, and they're doing it, and that is just so sweet to see. That's the gospel, and you know, uh, the UN isn't going to pull that off. That that only happens when Jesus invades, and so such great stories happening right in the middle of the war.
1: I'm thinking of uh, people sitting in a Bible study, looking at each other and saying, "Hey, uh, a year ago I wanted to kill that guy, yeah, uh, and now here we are worshiping together. Uh, what an amazing thing!" Why do you think that at this particular point in history, so many in the Middle East are coming to Christ? Yeah. I know you've you've written a book about dreams and visions and yeah. how God is moving just supernaturally. Why now? Why yeah. 2015 is is God doing that? It's
0: happening. You know, I think if we look back over church history for 2,000 years, it's pretty consistent that the gospel thrives in a climate of persecution. Now, in our Western mind, we think it shuts down and 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 the church ends and you look at what's happening on television, the vanishing Christian Middle East, and there are people going. There's no question there's people going. But there's a movement there. And recently, some stats were released by the Southern Baptists that this is one of the fastest growing areas for salvations in the Middle East. And so persecution is... It's like a hothouse, like Thessalonian Christians. Right from the beginning, the church was born in the midst of a riot, but their roots went deep. And so it it digs them into the body of Christ deeper when they're willing to be persecuted from the beginning. And we've talked about this, how believers that—let's say they come out of a Muslim background. This is not a casual, oh, I was a Muslim, and I'm going to be a Christian now. No, to follow Jesus, they have to think through their mind— am I willing to be persecuted? Because that could come from their own family. Probably will. Am I willing to die for Jesus? So these new, uh, I believe they're they're teachers. They're people we want to sit at their feet and hear, what was it like being in prison? What was it like being beaten for your faith? They have valuable lessons for us to learn from them. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of
2: the Martyrs Radio Network.
1: How do you think that that they can stand up to persecution? Especially what what amazes me often is brand new believers who stand up to persecution. And I, you know, I think in my own life, and I've grew up in a Christian home, I've been a Christian all my life. I know people I go to church with who yeah. are in the same boat and they say, There's no way that I could withstand that. There's no way that I could watch my family be yeah. killed in front of me. And there's no way that with a gun to my head, I, I hope I would, but yeah. I just don't know, how do they prepare themselves?
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a great question. And they're right in saying, there's no way I could, but the Holy Spirit through them just wells up this boldness and confidence. Uh, uh, we have a friend in Syria that had a gun to his head with ISIS and they clicked the gun and it, there was a, it wasn't loaded just to, to tease him. But at that moment, he said, I was so ready to go see Jesus. I'm planning on that. I know that's what's going to happen to my life. So it's not something where this is a surprise to them uh, whatsoever. I can remember reading the book of Acts as a new believer, 18 years old, never read the Bible. I was a Christian, I was religious, but I just didn't read the Bible. I had a born again experience at 18. I start reading the Bible. Todd, as I'm reading in Acts, and they're persecuting, they're getting thrown in jail, they're being killed, Stephen, I can remember thinking, wow, I'm glad we live in more civilized times, and those <laughs> things don't happen. Now, wait a minute. Why would we as believers ever think that death or persecution is an option that's off the table? It's never been off the table. And in today's world, where it feels like Isaiah's times, where it evil is being called good, and good is being called evil, and these jihadist armies and all these things happening, it is more and more becoming prevalent. And so, they prepare themselves to die. And if I can just share a story from the book, we have some friends in Syria. Farid is the leader, 10 leaders planting underground churches. They've seen Alawites, they've seen Druze, they've seen Sunni Muslims come to faith in Christ but at one point and all of them are young and young families and at one point he met with the 10 leaders and said if we're going to get out of Syria we probably need to do it now it's 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 getting worse the war shows no signs of ending Isis is targeting Christians we've all heard what's happening so let's pray and fast for a week because there's no heroes here if God leads you to go out that's fine maybe you can come back someday but we need to know it's at fever pitch. So let's pray and fast. And if you feel that God's leading you to stay in Syria, be back here in a week in this room, same time. And so a week goes by. They all pray and fast. Fareed walked down into that basement under a house, and as he's turning the doorknob, he said his thought was, it's going to be an empty room, I'm most certainly. And he opened the door, And Todd, not only were the 10 sitting there, but they had recruited 15 more leaders that said, we're staying, we'll probably die here. And to seal it, this was not some casual commitment, obviously. They went out. Some of them are former Muslims. There's no place for them to even be buried. They went out and bought a plot of land, split it, and it's their graveyard where they're going to bury each other. So they're planning, they see it coming. Right. And so Farid said this, and others, as we get communications from them, they'll say this, God's moving, people are open, and the graveyard's still empty. Praise the Lord. And it's a victory. They're still alive.
1: I'm reminded of the uh, the missionaries of Adoniram Judson's generation that pack their stuff in their coffins, uh, to say, yep, we're going overseas, and this is our coffin. They bought a graveyard in That's Syria. That's right.
0: That's right. Ready to go. And so the chapter in Killing Christians uh, is chapter 2, and it's called The Only Empty Graveyard in Syria. <laughs> they, they're amazed that they're right. alive. They, they don't plan to be. They expect every day that they're going to go and be with Jesus, and he keeps them alive, and they're seeing fruit talk
1: a little bit of, about the the Christians of the Middle East. One of the things that I think the media gets wrong is they talk about the the traditional Christian communities. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about Muslim converts. And I right. think I think of Isis, you know, the media reports, well Isis yeah. came in and they told the Christians you can convert or you can pay the tax or you can be killed right. or you can leave. But for Muslim converts they don't have all those choices. No. Uh, what What are their choices?
0: Their Their choice is death immediately. I mean, in, unless they recant, and um, we have a friend, uh, a woman, Shireen, that was in Iran, and she came to faith in Christ. Her husband's Muslim. She was Muslim, and within four months, he realized. He said he saw something in her countenance. Wow, that had changed. You're not a. You You don't have stress. You don't seem burdened. You have joy in your life. what A smile on your face. What's wrong with you is what he said.
1: <laughs> What's going on, Why? <laughs>
0: Which ought to tell him something, I think. And um, it's the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the, the Spirit coming. She told him that she was a believer. He took her to court. Now, he just needed to say, I divorce you three times. He took her to court to make an example of her. And the judge listened to him. She never got to spoke, had her stand up, Shireen, here's your options. You can recant this, come back to Islam everything will be fine. I kind of doubt that. I'm sure there would have been beatings and jail time. Or if you do not stop following this Jesus, we will put you in handcuffs, put you on a plane, fly you out of Tehran. You'll never see your four-year-old daughter again. So what's your choice? Stand up. And Shireen stands up and says, what you've asked me to do is one of the hardest things I can ever imagine. My daughter, I love her. I gave birth to her. I carried her for nine months. It's cruel what you're asking me to do. But since you give me a choice, since I met Jesus, I have love in my heart. I have purpose, a destiny. I just have this joy that I can't contain. I choose Jesus. And they cuffed her. They did take her to the airport. She hasn't seen her daughter. It's been about 10 years now. And I asked her, Shireen, I, I know Jesus said, I've come to bring you against mother, against daughter, and father against son. It's not that Jesus was against families. He he loved families. But that love compared to him for family should should pale, his love being so so greater. And I said, but as a mother, I'm speaking as a human, how could you do it? That had to be so hard. She said, you know, I learned this very early. When you follow Jesus, you know that he is so good to us. He's a good God. He's plenty capable of raising my daughter. So I've given her over to him. I expect great things with her someday. I'll see her again. Wow. I'm talking to the moms out there. Can you imagine moms (laughs) doing that? We read it in Scripture. Yes, I want to do it. Could I do it? She didn't. She didn't. Wow. Uh,
1: what an amazing testimony. Which story in the book is, is? do you have a favorite? I, I know it's like asking which of your yeah. children is your favorite, but uh, is there a story that particularly spoke to you or, or moved you as you worked on the book?
0: And you know, all of them, I it's like children, you know, I feel like, <laughs> uh, love every one of them. But this first one is special about a psalm in Somalia. The first chapter is called The Pirates of Somalia. And I Receive this story. We know all of these personally or someone close, and this one happens to be my son Josh that came back from Africa and spent days with a and heard his story. A former Somalian pirate, his dad is a Somalian warlord pirate over the pirates sending him out to rob the ships, has dramatic experiences, and comes to faith in Christ. And starts an underground church. And the scene, the first scene opens with this. He is smuggling Bibles into Somalia in a casket under a corpse. Oh, my. Now, Muslims are superstitious. They wouldn't open a casket. He says that's the only safe way to get in and out. And he's bringing in 10 Bibles to this new underground church. That, he's dead. that just sounds like madness, insanity to people, but just this desire to get people into the word. He says, we're going to get hit hard, persecution, we need to be strong, we need God's word, we can't find them in Somalia. And so he sneaks out into another country. He travels in gaskets.
2: You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
1: What would surprise our listeners or American Christians about our brothers and sisters in the Middle East? What's something that, that our listeners would be like, really?
0: Well, I'll tell you one that just was a shocker to me. And this has happened in several countries, that they're praying for us. I mean, that, that is sobering. To me.
1: These are people who are being killed and uh, under attack and in the midst of war, and they're praying for us. And they're
0: praying for us, that the gospel would be unleashed in America. They 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 watch the news, too. Uh-huh. They see things happening. And so we're praying. Voice of the Martyrs uh, does that. That's what you're about. And we have 838 on Facebook. We do that. But they're praying for us. And I look at our Problems next to their stack, and they're they're just they're minimal. They're nothing. It's like dust in the wind. But they are praying for us. They're passionate to pray for brothers and sisters around the world, and that speaks to me because we have to be passionate every day to pray for them. They're in harm's way.
1: Absolutely. When when a reader finishes your book, they they read start to finish. What do you hope they take away? Well, what what do you hope is is the impact that it yeah. has on them?
0: I think a couple of things. Number one, we do want to connect them with believers in the Middle East, in North Korea, all of these places where they're persecuted. So we don't want that to seem like a far-off news story. Uh, Jesus said, I mean, in effect, Jesus is saying, don't take it personal. They hate you because they hate me. They're just going through you to get... That's where the focal point is of hatred. And then secondly, Paul said, when one hurts we all hurt. We're a body. And even though we live thousands of miles away, we want them to understand that they're connected. And so they may not be called to be persecuted here in the West. We may not be, but we want to walk with those who are persecuted. So that's number one. We connect them and we're going to give some practical ways to do that. But secondly, we wanted, um, these are the new heroes of the body of Christ that we wanted to sit at their feet and learn lessons. I've never been in a prison for my faith. Uh, I've been arrested a couple times, but it was short. I've never been in a prison <laughs> like some of these for years that say, Jesus taught me. It was just me and Jesus. I want to learn those lessons. Those are things that are valuable for us. And so, so it's connect, learn. And then I think the third challenge is to be willing to live like them, and to ask ourselves the questions, am I willing to be persecuted for Jesus? Am I willing to die for Jesus? And I think, Todd, once we've answered those questions, yes, that is a spiritual game changer for us that we'll probably never recover from. Life will be different. And we think, well, we live in America, and We have a couple, I always say, twin idols of comfort and safety. Well, maybe not. And we actually know of former Muslims that love Jesus that have been killed in our country. So there is persecution here, and I believe it's going to spread. But once we settle those questions for good, and we pray that God would give us the strength, if faced with a knife against our neck, once we settle that, we become a different follower of Christ.
1: Yeah, there. Are, I think of many Americans who would start with the question, am I willing to be inconvenienced? Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not even am I willing to lay down my life, am I just willing to be inconvenienced oh, for yes. my faith? Uh, that's a starting point. Uh, as Americans, what should we think of ISIS? What Should we mm-hmm. be afraid of them? What should our response be?
0: You know, I think we're living in days uh, like Nehemiah days where they had a sword in one hand, they're building the wall in Jerusalem, sword in one hand to protect themselves, hammer in the other hand to do the work of God. That sword is for protection. We see that as good government protecting us from infiltration. I mean, you know, if someone gets on a plane and goes to London and goes to Turkey and goes into Iraq and serves with ISIS, I mean, I'm pretty much thinking that's a one-way ticket in my mind, and I hope our government enforces (laughs) that, right? Right. So we need good government, but I think too many believers—and I, this was me—so this is Tom Doyle, twenty years ago—are uh, looking to the government to solve this problem. That we have the truth, and and we have to be motivated. Our hearts have to be broken to go to Muslims that are open to the gospel. More Muslims in the last ten to fifteen years have come to faith in Christ than in fourteenth century. So we have to be willing to go and do that. So it's um, that's what we're calling believers to do.
1: Yeah, I I think of, you know, there's certainly a military battle going on, but there's a spiritual battle too, and you don't win spiritual battles with missiles and guns and and warplanes. So why do you think that some Westerners are are going to join ISIS? What's the draw that would get a middle-class kid from London or uh, Minneapolis to get on an airplane and go to Turkey and cross the border and join ISIS.
0: You know, I have a friend that became a Muslim imam in the Middle East years ago. He's now a believer and he's a pastor. God dramatically re-altered his life, changed everything. <laughs> I said, why did you do it? How, how did that happen? He said, yeah, I really wasn't convinced of the religion. He said, N- not by a long shot. I wanted an identity. I wanted to be a part of something I wanted an identity. And so maybe they do look at the West, and it's decadent, and this is meaningless, and you know, they want to count for something, and and they want to go and and do that. And so, you know, you would ask, should we be afraid of ISIS? Uh, We pray that our government will stand up and stop the uh, attacks, and, you know, that there'll be a good coalition that will stop them. But, you know, as believers, we have to remember what Corey ten Boom said, there's no panic in heaven. (laughs) I mean, Jesus is not sitting on the throne biting his nails because of ISIS. And believe it or not, he's using them. And we have a friend that works in the Middle East that sat down for coffee and in a coffee shop in the Middle East. And a man came up, started sharing with him. He said, you're from America. I want to talk to you. And he said, okay. And he said, why do you want to talk to me? And he said, I'm with ISIS. And my Uh-oh. friend immediately <laughs> thought, oh, is it that late already? I think <laughs> I think I need to move on. And the man started to share with him that he joined, believed in the ideals. He's been wounded. They persecuted his family. He's rethinking. And my friend got to share the love of Jesus with him. And they are texting and wow. emailing, this ISIS man is open to Jesus. So no one's unreachable.
1: No one is unreachable. That is so true. I... I saw a uh, a video online of a Canadian recruit that had gone to join yeah. ISIS, and he said exactly what you said. He said, "I wanted to be a part of something greater than myself." Yeah. And the thing that I thought is that's the same message we give at missions conference at our church every year. That's right. Come be a part of something greater than yourself. Give your life for something bigger than that's you right. are. And I thought, wow, they're they're using the same message. They're doing that the we same are. recruiting. Yes, to recruit people to come and fight and die. Mm. Um, Tom, we are just about out of time. I want to ask you if you can stay with us for uh, another week. We'd love to continue this conversation
0: next week. I would love to. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Tom, for your willingness to stay with us. I know our listeners will look forward to the second half of our conversation next week here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. I've got an update now for listeners about one of our recent guests. Some of you will remember our conversation with Gilbert Hovsepian, the son of martyred Iranian pastor Haik Hovsepian. At the end of that episode of VOM Radio, I told you that after we taped the interview, uh, Gilbert was in a traffic accident and was badly injured, and we asked that you would pray for him and pray for his healing. Well, this week I had the chance to see Gilbert and get an update about his condition, and I asked him if he'd give our VOM Radio listeners an update. I just had a little mini recorder with me, so the audio quality on this isn't great, but I wanted you to hear directly from Gilbert on how he's doing and also how you can continue to pray for him.
2: Hi, this is Gilbert. Um, I want to thank all of you for your prayers, for your care and attention. Uh, I have been a witness for the power of the prayers because um, I broke nine different bones and three ribs and I've had uh, some surgeries and I've had and, I'm, and I still have a lot of pain. But uh, my healing process and the speed has been so amazing that the doctors up to this day are so amazed. And um, I am amazed. And uh, now all I have is a hand problem. I can't twist my hand And I'm praying and I'm asking you to continue the prayers, please, for that as well. But all the other things have been healed, praise God, and I'm just extremely thankful.
1: If you've seen Gilbert at one of our VOM regional conferences and heard him sing and watched as he played the piano, you know that the use of that right hand is a very important thing for him. So I hope that you'll join in praying that God will completely heal and restore Gilbert's hand, and completely restore uh, his ability to play the piano, his ability to use that hand for all the things that he wants to. If you missed that interview with Gilbert Hovsepian, you can always go back and listen to previous episodes of VOM Radio online at vomradio.net. That's vomradio.net. There's also links there to get it as a podcast uh, and other ways that you can access our program, as well as a list of radio stations that is broadcasting VOM Radio and the time that you can find it on the air. Thank you, Gilbert, for giving us that update. Thank you, Tom Doyle, for being our guest. As always, you can log on to vomradio.net and hear this interview again, as well as share it with your friends and connect with us online. If you're tweeting about this episode of VOM Radio, you can use the hashtag VOM Radio. You can find Tom Doyle's book, Killing Christians, wherever Christian books are sold. And we'll continue our conversation with Tom next week, right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.